Good morning, everybody. Well, my name is Luke, so you guys usually see me up on the stage um, on the worship team, but excited to be here. Um, it's funny, as I was prepping this morning and I was sitting over here during worship, I was like terrified of having to move that table, so I'm really glad that Adam took care of it for me. Um, but yeah, so uh, this morning I'm super excited to share with you kind of what God has put on my heart. Um, I, I will tell you up front, the whole purpose of my talk today is to share with you that God loves you. And that is the only point if you take anything home today. That's what I want you to hear. Um, I had prepped a whole different sermon. Uh, I sat at a coffee shop last week on Sunday, wrote a whole sermon, and I came home to my roommates and I was like, eh, it's like a 75%. It's not that great. Um, and then Tuesday, I was sitting and I was super convicted. I was like, I am talking about God's love. And I had diagrams and pictures and I was going to have 19 different Bible verses. And I was like, this is not the personal relationship that I have with Jesus. It's not through the diagrams that I learn. Um, and so I scrapped that whole entire talk on Tuesday, wrote a whole brand new talk for today. Um, and it, it just reminds me that we sometimes come in and we overcomplicate God's love. We say we need 19 seminary degrees or we need uh, to be you know, fully educated before we can actually receive God's love. And that's just not the truth. That God's love is something that is freely given no matter where you are in your life. So that being said, I, uh, I've been thinking a lot this, this week and the past couple of weeks about how events that, we in, that uh, happen in our life really impact the future of how we live our lives. And I think we're seeing that now as even today as we make the announcement about masks next week. And that's just become a normal of our life. Um, but each generation has that one event that we can think back to and say, I remember where I was standing when that event happened, right? So for some of you, you guys may remember when JFK was shot. Uh, for others, you may be, remember the time that they landed the first man on the moon. Um, and that has impacted and shifted the way. As we look yesterday, I was watching the first commercial uh, space shuttle to ever launch to the space station that they're going to reuse, um, which is probably mind-blowing to the people that remember the first space shuttle just a few years ago. But there's one event for me that has really stuck to me, and that was September 11th. Um, I remember where I was. I was only in second grade, but it impacted everything, right? I was in second grade. I remember sitting, and I got a call from the office, and they said, uh, your mom's dismissing you, which was weird to me. So I walked down to the office as a little second grader. My mom, you could tell, was disheveled. Um, I'm one of four boys, and she had my second brother in her hand. He was just under a year, uh, and he had banana all over him. <laughs> it was the first time he had tried banana. My mom was feeding him when she watched the news of the second plane going to the World Trade Center. Uh, my mom immediately just grabbed my brother, didn't even clean him, ran to come and get me. And I remember as me being the strong second grader I was, I told her, I'm not going home. <laughs> it was computer day. And at that point in my life, computers were not really a thing that everyone had at home. Um, and there was actually four computers the whole entire Roselle McDonald school. And we got like a turn every couple months. And that was my day. And I was not going to miss my day on the computer. So me and my mom bartered back and forth. You know, me as a second grader, my mom said, okay, you can go enjoy your one-hour computer time, and then I'm going to be in the parking lot, and you're coming home after that. And so we made that decision, and we went with it. But that completely changed the way that we travel. Even today, as you board a plane, none of us will know what it's like to get on an airplane without taking our shoes off. 
right? None of us will know what it's like to get through an airplane without having to wait through hours of security. And even as a little part of me, this is 20 years later, as every time we get on a plane, we think back to that event. It has completely changed the way that we live as a society. There's another event that has completely changed the way that I live my life, and that was the first day I heard the good news of Jesus. Many of you all know that I grew up going to this church. Um, I was part of this church for a long time as a child, um, and then we kind of stopped going for a while um, and led me to going to college. I was in college, uh, and my, during my sophomore year, I was living with a group of five other guys, and one of them was part of this group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He consistently, like annoyingly, I'm still friends with him to this day, and I was like, you're kind of annoying, but consistently invited us to this Bible study. Um, and I was like, no, we're all set. We're really good. So he was persistent and said, I think this is what you guys need. So he finally decided to move the Bible study into our common space. And I was like, this is not where I want to go. So immediately I was like, oh, it's Bible study time. I got to go walk around the pond or do something not being here. Um, and finally you know, more and more they would do this Bible study, him and our staff worker alone. And the rest of us five started feeling bad. We're like, we can't like not keep making plans and not wanting to go. And so we completely shifted and said, okay, maybe we can get ourselves kicked out of this Bible study, right? So I remember the day we walked in and we said, we will come to this Bible study if I can drink beer and we can get drunk during Bible study. And the other one of my roommates is like, I need to go smoke weed before I come. Thinking they would say, no, don't come. And I'll never forget the staff worker looked at us and said, if that's what you need to encounter Jesus, Jesus will meet you there. And I was like, taken back. And I was like, okay. So that started what I call the motley crew of our Bible study. I would show up with beer that I didn't even really like, to be honest. But it was just like my protection of not wanting to know what's happening, right? Um, and my friend and my other roommates go get high, and we'd come to Bible study and have these deep encounters with who Jesus was. And it was in those Bible studies that I was exposed to that Jesus loves me, even in the midst of my brokenness. Um, that was so evident. Um, and Jesus wanted a relationship with me. And so they invited me into uh, this mission trip that I viewed as a free trip to Tampa. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to Tampa for my spring break trip, and I don't have to pay anything because these Christians are paying for it. Um, and I went on this trip, and it completely changed my life. Um, as there, I made that adult decision to say yes to Jesus, right? I would have always have told you before that I was a, a Christian, but I was just not living that life. And I made that adult decision to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And if you had ever had said to me in college that I'd be standing here in front of you, uh, I probably would have laughed at you because this was the last place that I ever would have thought I'd be. Um, but here I am, years later, I am now a campus minister, working full-time, um, sharing Jesus' love with students. <laughs> that good news of Jesus changed how I live. I share the story, even the vulnerable parts, because I think that Jesus' good news is worth it. It is worth it. My view of success, I went to a four-year business college. Um, my views of success was how much money could I make when I graduate, right? Um, in fact, like when you graduate, we used to, there's like a competition of what senior can make the most amount of money. Um, who could get the best offer? 
And that completely shifted my life when I said yes to Jesus. That no longer mattered to me how much money I had in the bank because I know that Jesus, as we said today, is our provider and he's the God that's going to take care of us. That is the good news that we need to hear today, church. So when I was taking my journey to come to know Jesus, I'll never forget my staff worker as I was accepting Jesus into my heart. Uh, he sat down with me and he, I said, I don't, and I was always very difficult as you could hear from my story. I was like, I don't feel like this is my first time decision, but I also don't feel like this is like a, a recommitment. I don't really know. I was like, I feel like I'm stepping a little bit closer to God, but I don't know what that looks like or how to do that. Um, and he said, this kind of reminds me of a, a piece of scripture. And this piece of scripture has been my reminder of, who, of how much God loves me since that day. And I'd love to share that with you today, church. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And if not, it's going to be on the screen for you. It goes like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, 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 give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went there and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one, was, no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The story has always impacted the way that I view God. It reminds me that I literally have to just lean forward towards God and God comes running. I joke and think about that story of, I don't know if maybe this is just a me thing, but have you ever been in the shower and you're like, you're about to have like, might be a difficult conversation and you're like processing that shower and you're like, they're going to get so mad and you're like in the shower like, but if they get mad, I'm going to be like, this is the truth, this is that. Um, and then you actually have the conversation. It was nothing like that, <laughs> right? It was just not any, any truth to that. Um, and that's how I feel like the younger son's having here, right? He's like had this whole speech down. He's like, Father, I sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He has the speech down. And even to the point where like I just picture this scene of like him standing there with his like, I have my speech and ready to go and the father's hugging him and he doesn't know what to do, right? Does he hug him back? Because this is weird. It's not what he prepared in the shower. And like, he just, he still says his speech. He says it and he goes with it. And now he's alive again. That is good news, guys. But the son encountered that incredible love the father has for him. This love separates Jesus from any other religion. 
there's no moment that you have to hit your enlightenment or you have to hit a certain age or a certain mon- like milestone. Jesus loves you when you literally just tiptoe towards him. What gets me thinking is the father was, saw him when he was a far way off. That means the father was looking. The father is looking for us this morning, for us to take that one step closer to him. It's so deep and so genuine, this love, that if you were the only human in the whole entire world, the story of Jesus would not change. He would still die on the cross for you, and he would still love you today. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at this Jesus series. Uh, We've seen Jesus as our healer. He's our redeemer, the name above all names, and so much more. But all of those come out of this deep love that Jesus has for each and every one of us. When people encounter the radical love of Jesus, radical actions occur. Some of you may have heard the story of Corey ten Boom, uh, and if not, I'm going to share it this morning. But Corey was a, a Christian woman who was arrested during the Holocaust for harboring Jewish people in her basement. Uh, She and her sister were caught, and they were sent into a concentration camp, and that location would be the place where Corey would have to witness her own sister dying. When Corey, she made it out alive, and she turned her life into pursuing God. And one morning, uh, she was giving a talk just like this at a church, and a guy came up front to her, and immediately she was just stuck, and she knew she recognized this guy. This guy was one of the guards that had a hand in killing her sister. Since the Holocaust, this guy had fully turned his life around, and he uh, had, was now following Jesus. And he came over and said, will you give, not recognizing her at all, will you forgive me for what I did to your people? She, and put his hand out, she didn't know what to do. And she says this in her autobiography, Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand out to stretch out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started on my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. When we encounter the love of Jesus, radical things happen. It's out of that love that Jesus can forgive us and heal us in miraculous ways. I think back to the last couple words that Jesus said on the cross. As he was on the cross, mind you, that us humans put him there. He says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That is the love that God is. Now, church, I started this talk this morning in a place of deep vulnerability, and in that spirit, I am going to keep it real. Following Jesus is an amazingly difficult process. As much as there's great joy, there's also great sorrow, because Jesus steps into our broken world. He provides the hope, but at the end of the day, this is still a broken world. We hold the promise of a future, and that's the hope he gives us but we're not fully there yet. Uh, You don't need to go far to get your daily dose of sad news. 
many of us get it alerted right to our phones. Some of us can turn the news on for about four minutes, um, and you've been filled with all the sad news. But Jesus provides the hope that this world will be redeemed. His love shows us that out of these places, we can turn to him and be healed and seen. Out of that vulnerability, this season has been so difficult for me. Most of you know that I work on a ministry on the college campus. In March 2020, I was on a missions trip with actually Karen, who's right here, one of my students, when we found out that the campus was going to be closed for two weeks. To be honest, I kind of was like, an extended vacation. Here we go. Uh, But two weeks turned into four, which turned into a year and a half. And this is not news for any of you because we've all been impacted by this pandemic world. But for me, as a single guy, uh, this was a single awareness flash. The words of everyone go sit in your circle, everyone go sit in your community, in your households, and then it was me. Uh, I had to sit by myself with six feet around me and no one can come near. The world that, uh, which campus ministry was vibrant and community was amazing, turned into everything being online. And my students and myself entered into a new vocabulary that we now call Zoom fatigue. And all of you know that too well. I was processing this the other day with my supervisor and saying this season has been hard and I don't know where to go. And I said, I feel similar to Simon Peter the first day he encountered Jesus. We're actually going to read that today. So we can turn to Luke 5. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesarar, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. That is how I felt. I felt that I have been here, I have been faithfully pursuing God, but I have not caught anything. There's been nothing. It was this deep suffering of like, is immediately, is this what I'm actually called to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do, God? I don't know if any of you have seen The Chosen that we watched together, but uh, weeks after I watched that episode of The Chosen, when they do the Simon Peter, and, you know, there's a little bit of, like, Hollywood editing in there, but that moment that he's on the boat and he was like, Jesus, like, why? Why, Or God, why do you do this to me? But the story does not end there. The story says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I think this morning, many of us can relate to Simon Peter. Many of us feel like we've been out all night and not seeing any progress. Some of us desperately want and need Jesus to step into our boat. But I think Simon Peter's story is that the night of catching nothing made that next day's miracle so much worth it. If he had gone out the night before and caught a whole bunch of fish, and then Jesus the next day was like, hey, put your nets out, and he caught some more fish, it would have been nothing. 
But because he was out all night long and caught nothing, the next day when he caught the most amount of fish he's ever caught, it meant something. For me, I, uh, I co-lead two alpha spaces, which if you know what alpha is, um, it's kind of a, a group to explore who Jesus is. Um, and it's a group for Christians and non-Christians, and uh, it's supposed to be that you come and have a meal together, but in the COVID world, we join a Zoom call together. Um, and last week, we were on our second to last call, and a student said yes to Jesus. And I was overjoyed of this one student that said yes to Jesus. It was amazing. It felt like after a year of throwing nets out, we had a catch. But in my broken, uh, kind of, you know, not perfect self by any means, I turned to God immediately and said, only one? Really, God? And a whole season for only one? And immediately I just heard God say, this whole season would be worth it for that one student to come and know Jesus. That is how deep the Father's love is for you. Another verse that has really always stuck to me, um, and I'll explain why, was uh, in Paul's letters of Ephesians. Paul is sitting in jail because he believed in Christ, and that just could have been his moment to like kind of take that free parking moment, right? Like, I'm in jail. I don't need to say anything or do anything, you know? Especially he's in jail because he believed in Christ. So him writing parts of the Bible in jail would have literally just made his sentence worse. In fact, it did. He got put on death row. Because he knew the love of Jesus in such a profound way, he had experienced forgiveness not too long ago. If you remember, he was persecuting Christians a couple, couple months prior. Um, but he knew that Jesus' love was worth it, that he could sit in prison and write these words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches— he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Those are the words that I would not write if I was on death row in prison. But Paul understood how deep this love of the Father went for him. Paul shows me that even in times of great suffering, there is hope. God's love breaks down the walls, and at the end of the day, we are deeply loved. It says we were established in love. We were created in love. We are created in God's image, and there's nothing in this earth that can take that away from us. Paul shows us that in the midst of a broken world, we need to stand firm in our identity of who we are made to be. We are the children of the highest God who loves each and every one of us. He also shows us that sharing the love of God is worth it 
that we actually may need to put our own views of success down. Because God's views of success is so much higher than anything that we can figure out our own. I'm sure Paul did not wake up one day and say, it would be a success if I can go to jail. It would be a success if I could die. But he understood this love in such a deep way. Years later, like years later, we are still finding hope in the words that Paul had in that deep suffering. Paul knew that sharing Jesus with others was worth any punishment thrown his way, including death. In fact, out of Jesus' 12 disciples, 11 of them ended up dying because of their belief in Jesus. They all knew that this love of Jesus went so far that it even went beyond death. Is that something that we as a church would be willing to take on? Are we willing to risk the love of Jesus that it actually kills us? So I sat with this question this week of who is Jesus? Jesus is our advocate. He's the Lamb of God. He's the resurrection and the life. He's our shepherd and our judge. He's the Lord of Lords. He's our rock. He's our master. He's the head of the church. He's our faithful and true witness. He's our high priest and our living water. He's the better life. He's our Messiah. He's our Alpha and our Omega. He's our true vine and our teacher. He's the Holy One. He's the great I Am. He's the mediator. He's the Son of God. He's the good shepherd. He's our Savior. He's the light of the world. He's the Almighty. He is the Word. He is our Bridegroom. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our servant. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the everlasting Father. He's the King of Kings. He's our cornerstone. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's our Prince of Peace. He's our anchor. He's the Lamb. He's the Counselor. He's our Emmanuel, God with us. He's our Provider. He's the Son of Man. He's the King of Jews. He's our Redeemer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is love. He is love. And his name is Jesus. As I said before, we live in a broken world. Our world needs the good news of Jesus. We as the church are called to bring hope into a broken place. Church, our world needs Jesus. So in just a couple minutes, I'm going to enter us into a time of response. I think uh, as I read all these scriptures and as I, as I encounter God today, um, some of us may need to actually make a commitment for the first time to God. Some of us may have never had a relationship with Jesus. You may have been similar to me, um, where you would have 
said you were a Christian, but you never actually wanted or never accepted Jesus into your heart. And so in a couple minutes, I am going to invite us to say yes to Jesus for the first time. The second invitation I will make in a couple minutes will be for us to receive the love that God offers us. Some of us have been Christians our whole life for a long time, and the love of God is something that is up here, and we are asking God today to move it down here. Like I said, this is not, you don't have to run a whole marathon to get to God's love. You just need to tiptoe forward. And so today, maybe the invitation for you is to tiptoe forward. So I'm going to give us some time to process all that. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to do a, the bridge of the next song. Um, and I'll be back to make our invitations.